Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Film Daily. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, August 17th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, let's uh let's talk about it. Let's get this out of the way, guys. Uh DC's like Comic Con event, their online Comic Con event. It's called Fandome. It, it's coming at us pretty fast. We we just learned the interactive schedule. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so there's uh, over a hundred hours of unique content that is going to be uh, at DC Fandome, which takes place this Saturday for 24 hours only. So um, it's interesting because, you know, they're doing they're taking sort of a global approach here. So, uh, you know, DC obviously has fans all over the world and they're they're They have this uh, schedule of, of tons of panels and stuff like that. They're doing a lot of encore presentations of the panels. So people who you know are asleep on one side of the globe when these panels are debuting don't have to like stay up until all hours of the night to be able to watch them. Um, but it seems like a lot of this stuff is just going to be accessible for 24 hours and then just disappear. Um, I, I'm guessing that like if 
trailers or footage or anything like that is released from this, then that stuff will probably just be, you know, available on YouTube because it doesn't do the studio any good to release <laughs> promotional material and then immediately take it down. Um, but in terms of like the discussions and, and uh, you know, panels and stuff like that for big movies like the Batman and Wonder Woman 1984 and Black Adam and all of that stuff, um, you're going to want to pay attention to what's going on on, uh, on the DC fandom website uh, this Saturday. And um we're going to be recapping it and uh, and breaking down all the the biggest stuff here at Slash Home as well. So um, you can check us out if you're uh, you don't want to actually watch all these things. <laughs> if you just want to get the highlights, um, we got a place to to go check that out. So is this live like they're going to do New York Comic Con, or is this more like uh, San Diego Comic Con where it's like pre-taped panels? My sense is that a lot of it is pre-taped. Maybe maybe all of it actually. Um, because I don't think they're building in that. I think this is too big of an event. There are so many panels. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to like look at the official website yet and and like dig through everything that's there. Um, we we've broken out a lot of the panels for the big movies and and stuff like that that we're interested in here at Slashfilm and and in the link in the show notes you can see you know when the Snyder Cut panel is going to be and when the Aquaman panel and and Shazam and stuff like that anything that like our readers would really care about and and us as you know comic book fans comic book movie fans would care about but there's a ton of um uh, what I would call m- more minor panels that are there and um I, I just think there's there's such an overwhelming number of uh, pieces of content that are going into this that I, I think it would be really impossible to logistically to make all of those live feeds work at the same time. So I, I think um, most of the stuff is probably going to be pre-recorded. Yeah. They like announced a list of names. Like how many names was it? Like 300, yeah. 600. It was like an insane amount of names. Um, it, it, is there any like panels that come as a surprise to us or is it all expected? Um, it's all mostly expected. There's, there's a, uh, uh basically panels for all of the big movies that we know are coming up. There's some like retrospective panels from, you know, previous big DC movies like Aquaman is having a a panel, for example, even though that movie came out, what, in 2018. Um, So uh, James Wan and and Patrick Wilson are going to be on that one. Um, I think maybe the biggest surprise is that uh, a lot of these panels are going to be relatively short, which is kind of nice compared to, you know, some of these other conventions that seem to sort of drag out, these panels and and you know include a lot of stuff that frankly just like kills the momentum and the buzz of an event like this so (laughs) um the idea that you're going to be able to like get in and out of a big panel in you know 25 30 minutes sometimes 10 minutes for some of them and then just be able to move on to the next thing that you're interested in as a fan uh, i'm sure that's got to be kind of a um you know a bonus for this thing there is one panel on here that's like unlisted it's is it a surprise panel? Like, what can we expect from that? It is. Yeah, it's 20 minutes long. It's a surprise panel, and there's no information about it whatsoever. The only thing that we are guessing that it might be is uh, that it could have something to do with uh, Batman Forever, which is celebrating an anniversary this year, um, the Joel Schumacher movie, uh, because Val Kilmer was listed uh, as, you know, his name was among the, the hundreds of uh, talent that you mentioned earlier, Peter, that are participating in this in some way. And I, I did like a very quick scan through the entire calendar of DC fandom and don't really see any other uh, panel where Val Kilmer's participation would make a lot of sense. So I think the surprise thing might be 
Um, maybe it's something where they like get all of the actors who play Batman together or something like that. But I think it's probably more likely that it's just going to be a Batman Forever retrospective. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, let's talk about Warner Brothers, who is putting on DC Fandom. They are releasing one of the first big films into the wild of this global situation that we find ourselves in in right now. And uh, the release of Tenant, the Christopher Nolan film, is... Uh, I mean, it's interesting in a number of ways, but uh, we have just learned that like Warner Brothers is asking an insane amount of money from the exhibitors for this one. Chris, what do we know? <laughs> yeah, so uh, Tenet is the first really big theatrical release since, I guess, March. And Warner Brothers is is not taking that lightly. And they're literally going to be upping how much money they're getting from movie theaters when Tenet releases in a few days, actually. It's coming out in the UK next week, and then it's supposed to come out in the US uh, September 3rd. And normally, theaters and um, studios sort of split the cost. Uh, you know, theaters get half the, the, the box office takes, studios get the other half. But Warner Brothers, they're asking for 63% of the box office take this time, which is uh, really not normal. And... Uh, unfortunately for theaters, they really don't really have any way to, to barter here or bargain because theaters <laughs> want to get back up and running again and they want new product again. And Tenet is pretty much as, as big as you can get. So theaters can either say, no, Warner Brothers, we refuse to play Tenet, or they can just say, fine, take 63% of our of the box office haul. <laughs> um, you know, Mike Sampson, who used to work at Alamo Drafthouse, uh, he commented on Twitter that uh, the 63% rental fee for Tenant is not like like the highest ever. Like their Disney blockbusters are about that high. Right. So you know he's saying that Warner Brothers holds all the cards here, which I which I agree. Um, I, I guess my question to you, Chris, is: do, do you think this could be the beginning of a shift here? Because you know Disney has all the cards with Marvel and Star Wars films, and you know theaters want to show them. There's no way they're not going to show them. They're not going to turn 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 away that business. So they agree to that like really high rental fee. Do you think now that there's? Do you think there's a shift here where where movie theaters need? movie studios more than studios need movie theaters and we're going to see more of this oh yeah absolutely and uh yeah i i do think it's slightly ironic or not ironic but it's, it's a little amusing because there was this whole narrative that cropped up that the whole reason warner brothers and christopher dolan were so dead set on on getting tenant out this summer was to quote unquote save movie theaters uh and in their in their defense they didn't really say that out loud it just sort of was yeah. the it was sort of like just the narrative that that cropped up. And now we see that that probably really isn't true because one brother <laughs> is just like, Hey, give us that money. We don't really care about you. We just yeah. want that sweet, sweet money. Well, to be fair, I don't think we ever heard that Warner Brothers wanted to save a movie theaters. We heard Christopher Nolan wanted right. to save Yeah, like, like I said, yeah. it, it, you know, that was never like 100% articulated. That was just sort of the narrative that yeah. everyone sort of just accepted. But now we see that that was complete bullshit. So there you have it. <laughs> okay. Speaking of complete bullshit, let's talk about our next story, which is a remake of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Brett, tell us about it. Yeah, uh, Paramount Pictures is working on a remake of the classic 1987 holiday comedy starring John Candy and Steve Martin. Um, it's a favorite among 
really anybody who just enjoys comedy. Um, and what's interesting about this potentially though, is that uh, it will have Will Smith and Kevin Hart taking the lead roles uh, in the movie, which honestly sounds like an enticing prospect, but I would like it uh, a lot more if this was just a road trip movie starring Kevin Hart and Will Smith and didn't feel like it needed to use planes, trains and automobiles as a way to capitalize on the popularity of another movie. Yeah. Like does that movie, I guess that movie has become kind of a holiday tradition of sorts. Like not only do comedy people like it, but like every, you know, fall and holiday season, people are rewatching this movie on, on TV. Like, I don't know. This sounds like a really bad idea, dear to me. Like, is this a bad idea? I think that it's a bad idea to call it Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. You can do a remake of this movie without calling it Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Uh, Robert De Niro and Zach Galifianakis did it with Todd Phillips, and it was called Due Date. Um, And that movie made $211 million worldwide, and that's an R-rated comedy. So it's not impossible to make a movie like this without calling it Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And that's really what I think they should do. For me, I think one of the things that could make this more interesting would be if Will Smith played the role of the annoying traveler a la John Candy and Kevin Hart was the straight man, much in the same way that Seth Rogen and James Franco flopped the roles that they played in Pineapple Express, where originally Seth Rogen was supposed to play the stoner drug dealer and James Franco as the straight man. Yeah, uh, maybe. Um, Okay, let's go from talking about an unnecessary remake to an unnecessary sequel. They are making a sequel to 47 Ronin, which I think was like one of the biggest flops of the year that it came out. Ben, what is going on here? Yeah, so 47 Ronin came out in 2013. This movie starred Keanu Reeves. You might might, uh, remember that. Um, And it's sort of like this big uh, samurai, like fantasy supernatural movie that had a huge budget that just like ballooned out of control and the production ended up being a big disaster. And the director whose name was uh, Carl Erica Rinch, who was a a Ridley Scott protege ended up ultimately getting booted from the editing room of his own movie. It was like this, this notorious disaster that, um, you know, lost a lot of money the year that it came out. Uh, But yeah, for some reason, 47 Ronin is now getting a sequel. And like I said, the the original movie came out in 2013. So this is seven years later that this news is coming. Um, And the sequel is actually going to be made by, um, I think it's called Universal 1440, which is the production arm of Universal Studios Home Entertainment. So it's not, it seems like it's going to be like a direct-to-video sequel. Um, you know, I guess that by itself might not be worth talking about, but the uh, the way that the sequel, the approach to the sequel is so different that um, I think it, it sort of drew all of our attention because this one is set 300 years in the future in an exotic cyberpunk world. And it will quote, be a quote unquote, fresh reimagined take on the original feature and will incorporate horror along with modern samurai and ninja elements. So um, <laughs> man, there's a lot going on here. And uh, I don't know if anybody particularly asks for it or wants it, but uh, hey, it's happening. So wait, is this a sequel or is this a like reimagining? I mean, it seems to be a sequel. They they don't have an official title here yet. Um, it does say also a reimagined take on the original feature. So I, I don't know if it's going to be like a <laughs> maybe it's going to be a legacy, uh, like one of those legacy sequels uh, where Keanu is going to show up, showed yeah. up, yeah, and and uh, you know hands the hands the torch off to somebody else. I, I really don't know. I'm I'm just sort of shocked that this is happening. I mean, you know that the, the um, idea of uh, depicting 
Japanese ronin who avenged their master's death is based on like a real event and has actually been depicted in you know tons of movies over the you know like in the past hundred years. But the 2013 film has a 16% on Rotten Tomatoes right now and is just. It's shocking to me that like this notorious box office bomb uh, would be getting this attention all these years later, even if it is a, a direct video thing. Like, you know, th- this is based on a very, very famous Japanese story that's also called 47 Ronin. And uh, yes, it has that uh, avenge aspect. It has a big suicide aspect. Um, I'm not sure audiences outside of Japan kind of relate to this story. But I mean, there is a cool story here. So it is like setting this in a cyberpunk future more is, could it be more interesting than that first film? Uh, I mean, I guess I, I saw like, I think it was one of our commenters actually was suggesting like, okay, so they're trying to capitalize on cyberpunk 27, uh, 2077, the, the new video game that Keanu Reeves is going to be in and they couldn't get the rights. Is that what's going on? Uh. Here? So I, I really don't know if that has anything to do with it. I don't think Keanu Reeves has not been linked to this sequel at all. So, um, I'm guessing they're going to get a completely fresh cast. Um, but I mean, yeah. Yeah, I guess, Peter. Like, how many cyberpunk <laughs> movies have there been that have modern samurai and ninja elements in them? So I guess, you know, just from a, a pure, like, aesthetic perspective, it might be <laughs> interesting and, and maybe, like, more interesting than this, you know, notorious failure of the 2013 movie. But um, will that make it good? I don't know. Or will it just make it, like, uh, you know, a um, an entry on a Wikipedia page about cyberpunk movies? <laughs> Okay, let's move on to the King of Sons. You know, we are we are big in this. Stephen King, everybody's making an adaptation these days. And we have an update on a, on a new project and a new director. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yeah, so a little while ago, uh, Tom Jane announced that he was going to produce and maybe star in an adaptation of From a Buick 8, which is one of those later period Stephen King books and recently he dropped some new info specifically who's directing it and it's jim mickle who directed uh cold in july and uh stakeland and uh, a few other like indie horror movies um he also added that the movie might kind of be on hold right now so we don't even know when we're going to see it but as of now jim mickle is is attached to direct uh what do you think of jim mickle as a director for this I like him. He's a good director. Um, Cold in July. I, I really liked that. It had a really nice uh, John Carpenter vibe to it. Um, he's one of those directors who, you know, I don't know how original he is because he seems to emulate other filmmakers, you know, like John Carpenter, and stuff like that. But he's, you know, he's got a pretty good grasp on that. So I'm not, you know, I don't have anything against him. I'll put it that way. Chris, yeah. remind me what you thought about In the Shadow of the Moon. You saw that one, right? Uh, I, I liked it for the most part. It has a really dumb twist at the end that I didn't care for. But up until then, I, I was kind of on board with it. Cool. And what do you think of uh, the source material here? It's not great. <laughs> it's not It's not my favorite Stephen King book. Um, you, know, you know, like you said, we're in the middle of the, the, the King adaptation renaissance. So they're sort of running out of books to adapt. So the, the choices are either remake things that already exist or go for, uh, you know, the bottom of the barrel here. So, uh, you know, I'm, I, you know, I can't say this is like at the top of my Stephen King list, but I'm always up for a new Stephen King movie. Okay. Let's move on. Let's talk about an American pickle. You talked about this, uh, last week or two weeks ago 
on the water cooler. Brad and I talked about it uh, this past week on the water cooler. And during that, I was talking, we were, we were talking about Seth Rogen's performance and I was talking about how I couldn't figure out how they shot this film because, you know, Seth Rogen plays two different roles. One of his great ancestor from over a hundred years ago. And one of, uh, you know, his great, great grandson, or something like that uh, today. And the older Seth Rogen has this beard and it looked real to me. Like it didn't look like a fake beard. And usually with these films, you, when you have two people playing themselves, uh, playing different, two different characters on screen, you, you film one of them, they get out of costume, change into the other costume and film the other. So I, I was so baffled at how they shot this. Uh, Brad, we, we now have an answer. Tell us about it. Yeah, so Seth Rogen's beard is real on this movie, which is what made the you know us wonder you know how they pulled this off um, because it would have required them to do you know some pretty extensive work that made made this, the production more difficult, and that's actually exactly what they did because uh, the way they shot this movie is they shot all of the stuff with Seth Rogen as Herschel first, so that he could use the real beard and get that out of the way, then. They went back to all the same sets and on location uh, places. That's a terrible way to phrase that. I'm stupid. Um, <laughs> but but the, the, the same real locations that they shot the movie at and basically had to redo the scene with a clean shaven Seth Rogen uh, as the modern character Ben and shoot it that way. Um, and it's that's, that's crazy. So like the, they, they talked about how, you know, they they would leave certain markers, you know, behind so that when they came back. They would know exactly where things were supposed to be. And we're talking about putting the camera in the same place, having the exact same lighting, you know, the same uh, props and set dressing and all this stuff. And so they basically had to do all of this, uh, you know, twice in order to pull it off. And sometimes it wasn't as hard because there are certain sequences that they used an entire green screen set, like a couple sequences where they're walking next to each other. Um, So they didn't have to be so meticulous about, you know, recreating the environment, you know, in real life. But uh, this, this is a crazy way to do a movie like this. Yeah, we have this featurette that I'll link in the show notes. And like you said, they, they had to put markers. And sometimes that meant like putting a spike into the pavement. Yeah. So that they would know where and to they, put the camera. They did utilize a double so that Rogan had someone to interact with during these scenes. But what's odd is that the, the double, when they had a double for Herschel, uh, he wouldn't say any of the lines. He would um, just move his body and have his face react as if he were saying the lines because Seth Rogen had to react to the actual take that they were using from, from when they shot before with an earpiece in his ear. So that way the timing was right. So it, that, that makes things even more complicated. <laughs> I don't know. Like, does this have more VFX shots in, in American pickle than uh, Christopher Nolan had for tenant? <laughs> I mean, probably. <laughs> Uh, but I would recommend everybody go check out, even if you aren't going to see this movie, go head over to slashfilm.com. The link is in the show notes uh, and check out how they made this movie because uh, it's crazy. And it's all because Seth Rogen wanted to have a real beard. Like <laughs> there would have been a, a, like if they could have got rid of the beard or done it like without the beard. Like it seems like this movie would have cost a lot less money to make. It's just pretty insane. Um, but anyways, okay, yeah, check that out. Uh, our last story for today involves a big Marvel villain that almost appeared in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but Marvel did not want that to happen. Ben, tell us about it. 
Yeah, so Agents of Shield wrapped up its uh, its seven season run uh, this past week, and um, the AV Club did this interview with the showrunners and one of the executive producers, and uh, they revealed in that that Modoc, which is uh, an acronym for mental uh, organism designed only for killing, was actually going to uh, appear in this show as a villain, um, but Marvel ended up sort of yanking the permission to use him at the last second. So the quote is. Uh, we had a lot of ideas where we were, and I'll say this, I don't care. We were given the green light originally to use certain characters from Marvel and started to break story based on those characters, Modoc, and then they retracted it. So there were a bunch of things that we were going to get a little bat, sh- uh, a little bat shit crazy that were above our pay grade in terms of the toys that we were allowed to play with. So uh, for those of you who don't know what Modoc looks like, <laughs> I highly, highly recommend going to the link in the show notes and just looking at a couple of pictures that we embedded in these articles because this is one of the most bizarre looking characters uh in the entire marvel comics roster and i love i'm gonna, I'm gonna do this to you describe yes. what modok looks like okay uh well <laughs> he has a very very short body like maybe the the um like a short and stubby body of uh you know his body is almost like um you know, like uh, like Rick Moranis in uh, in Spaceballs, like a dark. What's this character's name? Dark Helmet. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like that. But then the helmet is absolutely massive, and his head is like three times the size of the rest of his body. He's a grotesque, disgusting looking character. Um, it, it's I, almost I, like a head with like with baby parts. little arms and legs. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, it's it's very ridiculous. The whole comic history of the character is like a guy who I think he was involved in some sort of experiment and then it was he was supposed to be given like super intelligence and it just made his head huge and the rest of his body small. I mean, it's, it's really like wild, um, you know, uh, back row comic book stuff. And I just love the idea that this almost happened where a live action version of this character almost showed up on like a network TV show just because <laughs> the idea of like, you know, parents or grandparents or people who have no idea what the hell Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. even is, just like, ch- you know, channel surfing in the middle of a Wednesday night or something and just coming across this horrific looking creature. Um, that's really entertaining to me. So <laughs> I, the question that we have is like, why would Marvel give them this permission and then decide at the last minute to change their minds and, and pull the, uh, you know, like rescind that permission? And we don't really know the answer. Like, there is still a Modoc animated series that's in development at Hulu. Uh, Patton Oswalt is voicing that title character. So maybe it was just a, a question of timing in terms of like that show was on its development track, you know, around the same time that they potentially gave, you know, permission for them to use Modoc. And they were like, oh, let's actually let this character be, uh, you know, be uh, defined on television by this, this animated series that is devoted, you know, solely to him. Um, It could be that Marvel had, uh, you know, plans for that character elsewhere in a live action capacity. Like maybe he'll show up in one of the movies or something, but. um, Do you think that MODOK could exist in the Marvel cinematic universe? I I mean, I I think if he does, it would probably (laughs) have to be in some sort of form like, um, God, and you guys will have to jump in here because I don't remember the character's name, but in like uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, how like one of those characters like turns into a character who's essentially like a ghost inside of a computer. Um, I'm not remembering. I'm blanking on his name. He's played by uh, Toby. um... (laughs) 
Toby Jones. Toby okay, Jones, so yeah. I, I, we could at least remember the actor's name. So forgive me for not remembering the character's name. But yeah, something like that. Maybe I feel like Modoc could maybe exist in that in that realm. But um, man, like a full, like actual, you know, to scale version of Modoc in live action would be certainly something to see, which is why I'm I'm so like endlessly entertained by the idea that we came so close for the, you know, to that happening on a network television show. Arnim Zola is the name of the character. Yes, thank you, thank you. I mean, a name that just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, I, I do think that your first instinct is probably right, that they uh, came up with that idea for that Hulu animated series. Because this character seems like he would work a lot better in the animated realm than he would in live yeah. action. Uh, but who knows? Maybe, you know, the next step of the Marvel, the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe could be MODOK. <laughs> it's possible. You never know. He's the oh, new no. <laughs> Yes. Okay. That brings us to the end of today's Slash Home Daily. You can find more of all of our arc at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com and leave our go to our itunes page give us a review give us five stars we we will appreciate you until the end of time uh th- thanks for listening guys we'll see you on wednesday